straight out of Austin, Texas. It's On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com, with your hosts, Statesman Sports Columnists, Cedric Golden and Kirk Bowles. Often imitated, never duplicated. Hear it here first, On Second Thought. On Second Thought, episode 320, brought to you by Hook'em.com, our good friends at Bud Light. Ted Golden here with Kirk Bowles, and Duck, it's Sugar Bowl time. The Horns are two wins away from a national championship, but they got to win one before they can win two. They got Washington here in the Big Easy, and man, one of our favorites, friend of the podcast, Pat40SI.com, joins us. And, Pat, I'm just going to put it on you right now. Who's going to win this game? Who do you think is going to win this game? I mean, I think this is going to be a great game. I really do. Uh, I think these teams both have strengths that can be, that can exploit the other teams. Um, I'm sticking with Washington. I've liked them all year. Uh, I think the big passing game, the big play potential, uh, and the refusal to, to lose, you know, I mean – I know, look, Texas is, has, has found ways to win as well, but Washington's just had an unbelievable resourcefulness about them. And I really was, I was, my last selling point was the Pac-12 championship game where they were, I think, a nine and a half point underdog to Oregon. Yeah. People right. think they weren't just going to lose. They were going to get rolled. And they jumped on Oregon right away and said, no, we're Washington. We're good. And so I'm going to take that passing game to win a classic, I think it's a classic uh, Sugar Bowl. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of points. I don't think anybody's looking for a 10-7 game. You know, nope. like, who knows? Maybe we'll see that in the Rose Bowl. I don't know. But both <laughs> pass defenses have been, you know, lacking, to be kind. Uh, is the secondary for Washington vulnerable, or is there more to the story than I think their rankings like 122nd? Yeah, no, they are vulnerable. Um, you know, I've I've seen it, and – I think Texas has the weapons to exploit it. So yeah, that, so to that extent, you know, I think I'm I'm not I don't bet and I'm not a huge you know numbers guy on the in terms of like totals, but I think it's mid 60s or something. So I think we're going to see a game in the 30s probably uh, in terms of both teams putting up uh, some good numbers. I'm just excited about it being on a fast track and that Caesar Superdome indoors, no weather to be. I mean, if you're watching that that SMU Boston College thing at Fenway, oh, good lord! They're used they're not used to rain outs uh, in football season, but they should have rained that thing out. But I'm 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 getting I'm I'm really excited about it's going to be perfectly controlled environment, and I I I think the matchup that I'm most interested in is is how Washington's Joe Moore award-winning offensive lines going to stack up against Tavondre Sweat, Byron Murphy II, and company. Uh, Pat, do you think they've seen a tandem like that? I don't I don't see those kind of tackles uh, floating around the Pac-12. No, no, this will be their biggest challenge for sure. And, you know, it it's always so interesting when you get in front of the players. You know, first of all, you see the, the great personalities and remember how cool a lot of the college athletes are, but you can kind Kind of pick up a little, some tells about how they really feel about the other team, and they were they multiple players, both Sweat Murphy and I think Jalen Ford were asked about the Washington offensive line, and they're like, "Yeah, we'll they're see. good. We'll see. 
We'll see. We'll see you at 745. It's like, oh, no, we, we think we're better. I mean, you could tell that was the process. They, they were too smart to come out and just say, oh, we're going to kill them. But they absolutely think they have an advantage there. The thing is, Washington's offensive line is very good. Texas defensive line is great. But Penix gets rid of the ball. He doesn't take sacks. Quick. Quick. Yeah. Yeah. Just 11 sacks given up this season. Tied, I believe, for fourth fewest in the country. And they drop back a lot. Yeah, that's amazing. And we're going to see some of the best receivers on both sides in college football. Yes. Roma Dunsey, is he like a future NFL star? Because you remember, you know, John Ross played at Washington, couldn't stay healthy, was an NFL bust. And some people wonder if Xavier Worthy, who has had some injury problems, super fast, great receiver. Uh, how does it translate to the NFL? You know, I, I think Adunzi's going to be a star. I really do. I mean, he's so big. He's 6'3", 215, so he's got that size to win jump balls, contested catches, but he's also obviously extremely fast. And, you know, he will hurt you downfield. And as long as you're not throwing into double coverage, you put it up one-on-one, he's got a great chance to come down with it. And they've they've used him, you know, fairly Creatively, they can move him around the field. Uh, obviously, had the the kind of a jet sweep reverse that won the game against Washington State. Um, you know, if it weren't for Marvin Harrison, I think we'd be talking about Rome as the best receiver in the country. And yeah, Xavier Worthy also an outstanding receiver. And yeah, I you know long term durability maybe that's a question, but I don't think there's any question about his talent level and what he's going to bring to the table on a fast track. Uh, look out for him. Steve Sarkeesian, man, has turned this, turned this thing around. Five and seven, year one, a loss to Kansas. Um, now, now they have a shot to to do something no Texas team has done in almost twenty years. Um, why do you think it's worked? We we have our opinions on it, but you know, you're you're on more on the periphery, but you're a national guy, and you know what national guys are saying. Why do you think he was able to turn this around in three seasons, Pat? Or is this just what? Is this a one-off thing? It just feels to us it's different. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a one-off thing. I'm, I'm super impressed because I was a doubter when they hired him. I really was. I thought that it was a big risk by Chris Del Conte on a guy who had been pretty good, never great, and stepping into a massive job. But, you know, one of the things Del Conte has said is that Sark impressed them as big enough for the job. You know, big enough for a big job. And maybe some of the other guys they had had in the post-Mac Brown era didn't have that that he had. So uh, he had that. I, I really think, you know, his some of his personal struggles helped him mature and realize, you know, what he's good at, what he's not good at, what he can do, what he can't do. He's put together good staff. He's a great recruiter. Working for Saban helped. Um, but he, he's just... He's kind of put together the whole package. And I think the time with Saban and in the SEC made him realize we need guys like Byron Murphy. We need, we need, you know, maulers up front. We've got to be huge on both sides of the line of scrimmage. We cannot be soft to old Texas. We've got to be tough. And and they've come through in that area uh spectacularly. So I think, you know, understanding the program, recruiting to need, brilliant game planner and play caller. Uh, it's all worked, and I, you know, I've got to say again, I, I was not sure, but now I am, I am sure that Steve Sarkeesian was an excellent hire. So I'm right there with you, brother, and I, and I really believe that, um, you know, after you know, 
13 and 12 after his first two seasons, there had to be questions, Pat. And uh, I think what he went through in his personal life, and he gets a second lease on life and coaching. He credits Nick Saban for saving, helping save his career. Um, I think he's taken full advantage of it. And if you talk to these guys that, have, that play for him, you feel that there's a love and a respect for him. And I think sometimes that love and respect can can translate to to plays being made on the field because there's a singular belief, a culture. Um, uh, have you what what have you covered a team that's been that's been this close and has turned it around in such a short time? Uh, uh, you know you you're used to co- covering great teams because you're a national guy, but th- this is kind of a singular different story in such a short turnaround. Well, it is fascinating. Yeah. And, you know, you, you hear the same terms from a lot of different teams, uh, you know, brotherhood, culture, togetherness, all that sort of thing. But then, but sometimes it's actually true. <laughs> and in this case, it seems like it's true, you know, like these guys do have a buy-in and a belief to with not just their coaches, but with each other and, you know, keeping some of the guys around, whether it was, you know, not going to the NFL or not going into the portal and, you know, putting this special season together, uh, I think everybody kind of bought in and said, hey, we can actually do something pretty spectacular here. And at the end of last year, yeah, I was uh, after the first two seasons, I wasn't sure. I really wasn't. Mm -hmm. On paper, you looked at it and said, okay, they should win the Big 12. But rubber hits road, can they do it? And they, they have. And so, yeah, and I think that, you know, uh, Sark being able to connect with his guys on that level does build a different kind of a uh, a bond that that can elevate a, a program from good to great. You know, and um, uh, Kirk Bo stepped out for a minute. I, I mean, just so rude leaving. We've got company and you leave. <laughs> I mean, okay, okay. You're older than us and maybe you had to go to the bathroom. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> But uh, I'm going to ask him one more question, and then you can finish this thing up. Um, there's another game Thursday, and it's it's Michigan and it's Alabama. And I got to get your thoughts on that one. Uh, me, personally, uh, Jalen Milrow's been amazing the second half of the season. And I don't know that Michigan's seen a guy like him. And I'm personally – I am taking Alabama to beat Michigan – in the other semifinal, who you who are you leaning towards? I, 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 I readily admit that I might be overly influenced by that Auburn game that Alabama was so miraculously lucky to win, but I just can't get there with Alabama. You know, I know, and Milrow is a great story because the beginning of the year, you, I mean, you guys saw him against Texas, oh, yeah. and then the next week he is benched; he does not play. And how many guys have gone from bench to college football playoff and potentially, you know, winning a national championship in the same season? So his progression has been excellent. It's a great credit to to Saban and to Tommy Reese, the offensive coordinator there. I th- I think this is Michigan's best team. And I think Michigan be. is good enough defensively to be able to hang with what Alabama is going to put on the field offensively. And it's just going to come down to who can make a play here or a play there and win a 20 to 17, 17 to 14 game. I'm going to take Michigan, uh, but not with great conviction. So maybe well, we need a villain in the national championship game and who better qualifies than Jim Harbaugh. 
Oh, he's yeah. got all the signs. He's got all the signs. He's got all the signs. All the signs are there. So one question, you know, there's one rumor going around, Pat, that, okay, well, if Alabama does win it all, could Nick Saban finally say enough's enough and step down? Do you put any credence into that possibility? I mean, at his age, it's got to be – you have to take those rumors seriously, you know? Yeah. I mean, he is 71, 72, whatever. You know, I mean, he's not gone forever, and – this would be one of the more rewarding championships. I mean, I you know, like you've won seven of them or whatever. I don't know whether one counts more than the other, but but to do it at this age and at a point where a lot of people thought like the Georgias had passed them by uh, would would be pretty incredible, and it, it would not shock me if this is it for him. But then what happens? Boy, oh boy! I mean, that's one of the most interesting job searches in college football history because who wants to follow yeah. Nick Saban? Great job, but holy moly, the biggest shoes ever to step into. Oh, exactly. And one last question I have, Florida State making a lot of noise again, you know, saying the grant of rights are not ironclad. They want to be removed from the ACC. Can't wait till 2036. Is anybody ready to take the Seminoles? Say they pull this off with minimal expense, Pat. Could you see Florida State in the SEC or the Big Ten? Or the I can't, yeah, I can't see them in the SEC. Everything I have heard is that the SEC is, like, not interested. No. And so a lot of that starts with Florida, sure. which is one of the more, more important members of the SEC and is, and is roadblocking hard on that. But I think, in general, the league is, you know, they've got that market. So the Big Ten I could see being interested Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we the Big Ten's already just stupid geographically, so why not get more stupid? Uh, get a but, team from Canada. Come on, let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> University of Manitoba. You know, get a team together. Whatever. <laughs> um, but still, like, what Florida State is doing is rash and brash to a degree I, I've never seen before. I mean, trying thirteen years ahead of time. Trying to get right. at least Texas and Oklahoma waited till close to the end of the grant of rights situation. Yeah. USC and UCLA were there basically, and then everybody else was there. Yeah. I mean, this is this is like we're just going to break a contract because we feel like we should be able to break a contract. Yeah, yeah. You know, I it I find it typical of where college football is, but yeah. it's also I think annoying. You know, like I, I don't think you should be able to get away with. Yes, frankly, we'll see if they do. And I think uh, two predictions. One, I think they're a perfect fit for Conference USA. <laughs> they could go, I think they could have decent Stop success it. in that league. <laughs> but, but, but seriously, Stop. guys, you know the Big 12 and Brett Yormark yeah. would be oh. you know, all that's over a, that. That's a blue yeah. blood. Yeah. you got to go get them, Yormark. Exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. that, that no. could even be – maybe it'd be their landing spot, maybe. Maybe. And, they, you know, well, that, that may they save the Big 12. Their landing spot, but that no. could be it. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if Yormark's in Tallahassee now saying, look, here's what yeah. we can do for you. You know, wheeling, dealing yeah. uh, would not shock me. Exactly. I love, so. I, love, I love that idea. I mean, it's – that's, and that's why we invite people like Pat Forty onto the podcast because he's never been in the box, Doc. He's that rare <laughs> national guy who will call out wrongdoers, people who are, who are slipping. Forty will get after them, and that's why we like him. That's why we like him. Thank you. But I, I always say, people, you hate our team. No, I hate everybody. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. 
Words there to live go. by, man. man. Appreciate having you. We'll meet you downstairs for chocolate cake this afternoon, okay? <laughs> Sounds good, guys. Thank you. <laughs> All right, brother. Take yeah. care. All right. On second thought. Duck, always good to chop it up with Pat Forty, one of our all-time favorites. Just an all-time good guy who's do who's fighting a good fight. Um, but he picked the Washington Huskies, fam, <laughs> and I think a big reason is he picked Michael Penix, who threw for two eighty-seven and a couple of touchdowns in the Alamo Bowl win over Texas last season. I just think Quinn yours rises to the occasion. I worry more about Quinn in those nondescript games like Houston or or Wyoming. But mm-hmm. it seems like when they play a big opponent, Alabama one, Alabama two, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, yeah. uh, he seems to always play his best. I agree. And we've said this all year long in previous years how too often Texas plays to the level of the competition. You know, if it's a big game, they're – you know, all gears are going, man. They're flying. But obviously so much on the line. There's going to be such a great sense of urgency. I can't help but wonder if Texas isn't the more complete team, in my opinion. I think their defense is slightly better. Uh, Washington's been very vulnerable against the pass, but so is Texas, as we know. And the close games for Texas – uh, weren't when they played bad is when they got big leads and took the foot off the gas. You know, the all gas, no brakes thing wasn't always in operation. You know, once they got the big leads in the first half, you can say that against Houston, Kansas State, TCU, you know, and, you know, they've seemed to have overcome that as the stakes increased. So I think maybe Texas may be a more complete team. Quinn Ewers is not chopped liver, as you and I know. He wasn't the Heisman runner-up. But I just think it sets up so well for Texas because, as I said, maybe they're the more complete team. You and I both agree how great their special teams are. Uh, They also got the revenge motivation, you know, which is no small thing. You would think, oh, come on, Kirk, it's semifinal. Do you really need motivation? But – when you beat the other guy the first time, you're thinking, I'm just better than he is, you know? So, I don't know. you agree with any or all of that? Yeah, I do. And 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 this is something we should bring up. They checked some boxes off on the Revenge Tour they 2023, Doug. They checked off that Iowa State box. They checked off that Alabama box. They checked off that Texas Tech box. Yeah, TCU. They checked off the TCU box. So they've checked off the boxes. Uh, Washington State, that box remains. That's a big box. If they check that box off, it's Katie Barr, the door, the horns are going to be in it to win it. Uh, The one thing, and I'm not not trying to be a Debbie Downer here. I know we got some people that think, oh, go Bulls and Golden, so negative. Look, it's our job to discuss priorities. It's our job to discuss scenarios. So back in 2009, at the end of that season, and it's media day, and it's January of 2010, and we're all in L.A., and our colleague, Bob Ballou, friend of the podcast, on media day, when all players are available to the media, walks over to, to Garrett Gilbert's table and said, Garrett, the backup quarterback, what happens if Cole gets hurt? And Garrett Gilbert is, oh, 
talk about that. On the whole, Kirk, Gilbert has to play because Colt McCoy goes down on Texas's first possession. We all know how that ended up. If it happened again, and Lord knows we do not want to see that, we want to see Quinn Ewers play for full quarters of football. Along with Michael Penix, we want the best against the sure. best. Is young Arch Manning going to be suitably prepared now that Malik Murphy has transferred? Is Arch Manning going to be ready for, for a homecoming game of sorts? If he is, if his number has to be called, and what would that do to Texas's fortunes? I think Arch would be ready. I think he'd be more readier than Garrett Gilbert was. But what say you, Doug? I totally agree. And it wasn't so much because the volume of passes, because you and I both thought Mac was missing the trick a little bit by not getting Garrett Gilbert more snaps. Because remember, they, they'd blown out some people. And it was the Cole McCoy Heisman tour. They were trying to get Cole to Heisman, and yeah. I get that part. Yeah, but it did the team a disservice if if that was indeed the case for Mac and his motivation because it just just like you were mentioning that anecdote with our friend Bob Ballou, it's like Garrett was nervous. You know, I don't know if he thought he could play on this stage yet, and and indeed he ended up transferring going to SMU, which you don't. Is not as big a stage. You don't have as much scrutiny. You're not playing the top competition. And Arch just seemed like a, a different cat, if you will. You know, he, he, he seems so much more confident uh, beyond his experience, you know. Beyond and his I, age. Yeah, beyond his age. And, you know, obviously with that family, they're all used to the limelight and getting so much scrutiny and – uh, interest and exposure. So I think he'd be readier, uh, as you said, is readier a word? He would be more ready. Uh, readier. Like I don't think he'd be scared. I really don't think he'd be scared. And, yeah, he's not Quinn Ewers, and he hadn't had the snaps in college to, to read defenses, and the speed of the game is what uh, quarterbacks always say, how the game slows down when these quarterbacks get to the next level. So I think he'd have the confidence. He wouldn't have the experience. It wouldn't be the same as Quinn, but I don't think he'd be uh, afraid. One thing I, one thing I noticed today, and we, 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 you know, I know this is going to run on Friday. So uh, today is for Thursday on, on our first uh, media availability officially at the media hotel is we got to talk to some Texas defensive players along with defensive coordinator Pete Kwiatkowski. And, um, you know, Tavondre Sweat was asked several times about this great offensive line for Washington, and he had to choose his words very carefully. Uh, he goes, hey, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see at 745 what's up. And he didn't, he didn't say it, but they're very confident, Kirk. They're very confident about what they're going to bring, that defense. And I, I I, am very interested because Michael Penix does not hold on to the football. No, he gets he doesn't. It's one, two, three, bomb. One, yeah. two, three, out. Yeah. So they might not, you know, they're not going to be able to get that huge pass rush on him because he's not going to eat the ball. But are they going to be able to hold up on the back end? And that that is the biggest question. With Jade Barron, uh, Ryan Watts, 
Michael Taft. Uh, will they hold up, particularly, Duck, with the youngster, Derek Williams, out mm-hmm. for the first half because of that targeting in the Big 12 title game? Let me ask you this question. Uh, knowing all of that, what you just said, knowing that Michael Penix you know, leads the nation in passing yards per game, uh, finished second in the Heisman race, what would you do if you were Kwiatkowski? Would you take more chances? Uh, would you blitz more? Because Quit isn't a blitzing guy. You don't see, and he loves his front four. Now they'll bring Anthony Hill at times, and I bet they maybe do more of that to maybe speed up Penix. And you're not going to rattle him, but maybe you speed him up and he doesn't make that third read. Maybe he gets rid of the ball a little faster than he wants to. Do you think we'll see more pressure? Do you think we'll see the defense change anyway? Maybe, maybe, Doug, but the the one thing you got to guard against is if you don't get home, Ooh, you got Roma Duce and, and Jalen Park oh, out there running running on an island against the corners they like to gamble. So he's gonna have to pick his spots. You can't you can't just play him straight up because they'll yeah. I think they'll chew you up. And the one good thing I like is he got a snapshot last season. He got a snapshot of of what playing against Penix was like and and he'll he'll learn from those. Um Penix threw for 287 in that game. And I'm telling you, Duck, if he throws for 287 in this game, I think Texas might win. They'll take that. I think right. he's going to have to throw for like 340, 350. Yeah. Uh, the quarterback, the the winning quarterback, Duck's going to throw for over 300 yards in this game. I am oh, so yeah. convinced of that. Uh, yeah. Dude, uh, Quinn threw for what, 389? Something on 369 in the Alamo Bowl loss. And that was including two massive drops by Xavier Worthy, or he would have been well over 400 yards. And that was with so, no, no running game, remember? They ran. No Bichon, no Roshan. Yeah, like 18 carries for 50 yards or something. There was no running game. You're right on that, definitely. So, I don't know. It'll be interesting. Who do you think uh, quit puts uh, on Odunza? You think Ryan Watts and he they tell him, okay, you got Rome, follow him wherever, or do you put Jade Barron? Is the nickel back on him, or do you double him since he's the number one guy? I'm not a defensive coach. I'm not a defense. I'm not a football coach. We know that. But I, I've always been of the opinion. I love when they take away. Yeah, I love the Belichick. Theory. Belichick. Take away yeah. the best player. Yeah, uh, I would. I would double Rome and take my chances with Jalen Polk on yeah. the other side. I yeah. would. I'm not gonna let, I mean, if you're going, you you might lose to Washington anyway. But why would you want to yeah. lose to Roman Dunze? Yeah, I mean, it's him, Malik, Malik Neighbors, and Marvin Harrison Jr. That's the holy trinity of of receivers in the country. Yeah. Those are the guys, Doug. Those are the guys. And so, I, yeah, I, I'm not going to let Roma Dunze run run wild because he's singly covered. If they beat me with Jalen Polk or another guy, okay, mm-hmm. well, be and better got- than me. They got Jalen McMillan back, too. Remember, he was their leading receiver in the Alamo Bowl against Texas, and he was hurt most of the uh, first part of the season. And they've got him back, and he looked great against Oregon in the second game of the Pac-12 title game. So, And, you know, Dylan Johnson, their their running back, is is really good. I think uh, 
you know, he, I think he averaged something like 137 yards a game the last five games. So mm-hmm. the, he's a kind of a big, thick guy. You know, he was the one that transferred to Mississippi State. Mike Leach called him soft. Do you remember? Yeah, I do. So, I do. He's not running soft now. So, uh, no. But yeah. I'll tell you what, if they lose this game, it ain't going to be because Dylan Johnson ran wild. No, it's no. Because Michael Penix did some Michael Penix type stuff. Yeah. That's what yeah. that's going to be about. And the other thing is, Caden DeBoer is an excellent coach. And, you know, a lot of people think, well, if Harbaugh leaves, Michigan would scoop him up. Uh, you know, I got it on good authority that Washington's going to give him the ranch and give him a really big extension. And it still might, and it still might not be enough. Well, it might not. He he was making three million like two years ago, and I think he's four and a half million now. They're talking about nine or ten million. If Coach him. Khaki, if Coach Khaki leaves Michigan and they want Kalen DeBoer, they're probably going to get him. Yeah, I'd that's just how it is. There are only there are only four or five blue bloods in college football, Doug. Oh yeah, Washington ain't one of them. And no. Washington, as great as they've been, I mean, you're, I mean, they're not Michigan, they're not Notre Dame, they're yeah. not USC, they're not Texas. Um. Those blue bloods with the big money, yeah, though they they will pay what they must pay. Ohio State included, they'll pay what they must pay to get the guy they want. And Washington could all if Washington offers ten. Who's to say yeah. Michigan won't offer twelve? But I, I think mean, it's they, I think you know he's he moved like something like six times in eight years. He's and, a coach. That's and, what uh, they do. Yeah, but move. a lot of but he's kind of a different cat. He's not a hardball. Say that. You say you know, that. Well, I'll bet you a dollar right now he stays at they all, they all, They all love money. They all love money. If Harbaugh leaves and they want Caleb, they'll get Caleb. I bet they don't. I bet he stays. And I bet they give him this big package to stay. And like you said, you know, A&M was kicking the tires too. And I know Caleb DeBoer was reaching out to friends in the SEC like, well, what do I need to know about A&M, you know, and – Obviously, he didn't he didn't return any phone calls because he's still at Washington now. So I don't. This is just going to be such a great game. It's just something to look forward to. Uh, you know, stakes couldn't be higher. Talent just all over the field. You know, coaching smarts on display. So it's going to be just a special game Monday, and I just can't wait. Me neither. And you know, Duck. No, this is our last podcast of. 2023 and what a season it has been yeah for texas um athletics the volleyball team just absolutely incredible yeah winning the national championship and you know track national championships and um it's the spot it's the spot shout out to cdc he's done it he's done he's done great things he's allowed sarkeesian to grow into this job uh, after five and seven to begin with, and now and now they're on the verge of something special. The 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 campus is a buzz. We are excited that we are going to be there on Monday night. Um, and we're, we're and we're on involved with like seven or eight other podcasts that the Statesman is apparently producing. We just they just point and we we go where they tell us to go, Doug. That's that's what you do, the old people. Just be right here at at eleven o'clock, and there we are. So. We're so happy to bring it to you, and um, hey, all that's left is a football, sir. Yeah, people, we're working our butts off, you know. I mean, we're not sitting around eating chocolate cake, you know, in the hospitality room. But not all day. Not all and for day. the record, I did brush my teeth before this podcast. <laughs> uh, I had to, Doc. I had to. That was good chocolate cake, so. 
but we're here for you. We are here for you. The cake is good. We we are loving it uh, in the Big Easy, and we're going to love it on Monday Monday night at 7.45. Duck up. I forgot to ask, who are you taking in the Alabama-Michigan game? I like Alabama. I think, you know, Michigan's probably the best team in college football in the trenches. And I mean that on both sides of the ball. They're just powerful. They're tough. They're gritty. But Michigan doesn't make the explosive plays like Alabama does. So I think uh, Alabama's going to nip them. You know, like we we're talking with Pat Forty. I think it's like a, you know, 24-20 kind of game, something 21-17, something like that. But I, I think Nick Saban gets it done. It'd be interesting, like when we were talking to Pat about could Nick Saban step down if he wins it all. I mean, going out on top, you know, there's no better way to go out. If Texas wins the national title, you'll be writing about a repeat this time next year. So you're not leaving, and you're old, you're much older than than Saint Nick, and but you're but and a lot better looking uh, in that line. Uh, but to see him in person, guys, take it from me: you don't want to see Duck in person. Don't want to see him in person. Much better on TV. Much better. I hope you saw him on Fine Bomb. He was electric. But that's gonna do it for us. Much uh, much love to you uh, and yours in this holiday season. Uh, we got to thank Pat Forty for helping us out once again. He's great. Thanks to Chandler Hoffley, our producer, for making it making it so easy to bring you this podcast every week. He's Kirk Bowles. You're not. And we'll see you next time on Second Thought. Happy New Year. You've been listening to On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com. Join Seth and Kirk every Thursday at lunch for a new episode. Archived episodes are available on iTunes and Google Android Play.